Well, we'll continue in our Romans part 2 where we're looking at the question of what does righteousness look like? And last week we saw righteousness looks like a body. A body that where the members are all working together in harmony to achieve a unified purpose. So we had unity and diversity coming together for, for the good. And in particular, righteousness looks like each of us serving the body of Christ and bringing it into the harmony of being Jesus in this world. And we're all serving one another with our gifts. This week, we're going to see that righteousness looks like a just society. In fact, a self-governing society where the government uses wrath to punish evil and reward good and where the citizens submit to the governing authorities and to one another. The reason we're in this series of chapter 12 through 16 of looking at what does righteousness look like comes from the first series, uh, part one of Romans, where Paul tells us what righteousness is and where it comes from. In fact, the whole first 11 chapters are wrapped around that notion of answering that question. And Paul answers it as righteousness comes just one way. And that's by faith. From faith to faith. Righteousness is given to us by God when we receive it through Christ. He imputes righteousness to us. Even though we sin thereafter, he just looks at, overlooks it. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. He says that we should be very thankful that's the case because there's no other way for us to overcome sin because we can't keep the law. His opponents, who he's arguing with in chapters 1 through 11, don't like his notion. They say righteousness comes from the law. Paul says righteousness comes apart from the law. In fact, the imputed righteousness of faith delivers us from the condemnation of the law. Of course, then the opponents say, uh, well, if that's the case, then that means we can sin, so we should sin. So the way they characterize Paul's teaching is, You're teaching that where we should do evil, that good may come. Chapter 3, verse 8, Paul, of course, disagrees with that characterization very vehemently and says that they've slandered his position. And, of course, Paul's writing this whole letter, thankfully for us. He's writing this letter to strangers, which is the only letter that he did that with. These Gentile believers whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. He's writing this letter to defend his gospel because if it's overturned in Rome, it could be overturned in the whole world. So Paul defends his his, uh, notion and he says, hey, look at Abraham. He's the author of faith. Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him to righteousness. It was imputed to him just because he believed decades before circumcision, centuries before the law. Abraham is the father of all those who believe. So it's not becoming Jewish and, and obeying the law that does anything. Paul's the Jew of Jews, and he says, I can't keep the law. I was as blameless as anybody, but I was corrupt. And neither can anybody else, and that's why righteousness comes by faith. And then righteousness ha- happens in daily life because in addition to imputing righteousness, God gives us the life of Christ embeds it with us. So we have imputed and we have embedding. And when we have righteousness embedded in us through the life of Christ, we can walk that life and live that life. But again, it's by faith. 
Because all of this happens on the inside. You can't see what's happening on your inside. You can feel it. You can experience it. But you can't see it. It's not a tangible thing. Whereas the law is a very tangible thing. By living this substitutionary life, we can overcome death. We can overcome slavery. We can overcome condemnation. All of those things brought to us by the law. And so Paul goes on to say that when we walk this faith life, this live this substitutionary life that God's given us, we actually end up fulfilling the law. So righteousness comes by faith, from faith to faith, and we have a faith walk, which is why we need some examples of what it looks like because we're dealing with something completely intangible. What in the world does it look like? So we get to 12 through 16, he's telling us what it looks like, and the first thing he tells us is, looks like a body. Each of us can contribute to that body. And then today we're going to look at chapter 13 and we're going to see that righteousness looks like a just society. It looks like a self-governing society. So let's read it. Chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good. You'll have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he's God's minister. An avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this knowing the time, that now it's high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness. Not in lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So let's look at three things about a just society. First is authority and the citizens of the society being subject to the authority. The second is the job of authority, the responsibilities of authority. And the third is being subject to one another, loving one another. This is the root of self-governance. So we'll look at these three things. So first... Be subject to governing authorities. We saw that in verses 1 through 7. It just says, let every soul be subject to the governing authority. And he gives two reasons. 
In verse 5, he gives two reasons. Therefore, you must be subject for two reasons. One is wrath. And second is conscience. So wrath is a very interesting thing. It's pretty common for Christians to say that God's wrath would never be poured out on us because we're his children. Now, that's kind of hard to say because lots of wrath got poured out on Israel when they disobeyed. So it's, it's kind of weak, I, th- I think, to say that he would pour out wrath on the children of Israel, but not us for some reason. But if you ever have that argument, it seems to me like you can definitively prove that God's wrath is God's wrath, and it pours out on sin wherever it happens from this chapter. Because look, look at verse 4. For he, the, the authority, government, is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Sword. So, sword, sword kills you, right? And our society would say he does not carry a gun in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So, if you do 120 in a school zone and you get pulled over, probably handcuffed in that particular case, that is God's wrath being poured out. Because you broke the law. And God's wrath is being channeled to you, in that case, through the government. Why? Because that's a dangerous thing. And it's something that should be disincentivized to the point of of not having it happen. Children could be run over. The sword was given to government for a good reason, for us, to minister for good. Now, we saw last week, or we talked about last week, that uh, Plato's Republic is kind of this same question of what is diakosune, is the Greek word, usually translated justice in the English translations, but the same thing as righteousness. Two different English words to translate the same Greek word, diakosune. What is diakosune? And Plato answered that diakosune is when everybody does what they do best for the city-state. So the city-state gains the ultimate good. But note the difference here. Who decides what's good in Romans chapter 13? Well, God does. God decides what's good. The good is something that's transcendent, something that's a standard of of God's. And Plato doesn't have that. Plato reasons to what is good. And if you read the Republic, you can see some of his reasoning is going to lead to catastrophe. It's not a very just society that he reasons out. But he doesn't have the basis of Scripture. But they come up with the same basic idea. And that is that Everyone submits to the authority. But then Paul goes on well beyond what Plato's Republic can ever conceive of when he says, love one another, which we'll get to secondly. So the first thing is God's wrath. Don't get thrown in jail. It's a very practical thing. Don't, get, don't have to pay big fines. It's very, very practical. It's a good reason to obey the law. You don't want to be afraid of police cars then don't speed. You don't have to worry about it. The second thing, though, is for conscience sake. Because there's something much bigger here than just obeying human law for good human reasons because it brings about harmony in society. Because God cares about this. And our conscience is something we want to keep clean before God. And we saw here 
that there's something that's at hand down in verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us walk properly. And look at this, verse 11. Now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So we first believed, let's say uh, in 1962 I became a Christian, for example. Am I nearer to 1962 today or further away? than 1962 when I first believed. Nearer or further away? It's further away, right? The longer I live, the further away I get. But this says salvation is nearer than when we first believed. What does that tell you this is talking about? Something else than being uh, justified, right? Because salvation, as we saw in chapter 1, is a much broader term than just getting a ticket to heaven. It's something being delivered from something. And you have to look at the context to see what's being delivered from what. And in Romans, the main salvation we're talking about is being delivered from the power of sin in our daily life because righteousness is from faith to faith. And mainly what we want to know is how do you live? How do you live? And the theme verse of Romans is the righteous shall live by faith. Which again is why we're having to look at these tangible things because it all starts on the inside, something that's intangible. Well, what salvation are we getting nearer to every day that goes by? What is it? Well, sanctification happens on a daily basis. You can't be sanctified in the future. You can only be sanctified today. Yeah, it's when we get a new body and we don't have to worry about all this, uh, who will deliver me from this body of death. And that's getting near. And so the judgment day is getting closer. So there's two reasons to obey the government. One is it it helps adjust society. And, And the other reason is that it helps our standing before God because that day is getting closer every day. And, of course, that day is when Jesus will make a government that we don't have to worry about anymore. We don't have to worry about the government going off and not doing good because God will be the government himself. The government will be on his shoulders. So, of course, the ultimate thing we're trying to do here is to do good. We want what's good. It's interesting, uh, Paul goes on then to uh, talk about the authority itself. So first is be subject to authority. I think we've talked about that. And then he talks about the authority itself. So what is the job or responsibility of authority? Our job is to be subject to the authority. What is the responsibility of authority? Well, authority is supposed to advance good and resist evil and use violence to do so, wrath. That's, that's, what the, that's what the government is for. Of course, you probably are a little uneasy at this point in time because you're all thinking, well, what if the government doesn't do good? What if the government actually advances evil? Then what? Which, of course, beds another question. Who is the authority? And how did they get the assignment in the first place to be the authority? Well, historically, that's been a big question. Who is the authority? A thousand years prior to about the late 1800s when Napoleon blew it up in Western civilization, the authority was the Holy Roman Empire. And the ultimate authority of government was vested in one person, the emperor. And how did the emperor get that authority? From the pope, who said... I can speak on behalf of God, and God has given this guy the divine right to be the mouth of God on earth and pronounce what's, what's right and what's wrong. Well, that was a thousand years. That's a long time that we had that system. 
What is it today? Of course, it's different all around the world. But who's the ultimate authority in America? What does our Constitution say? Who's the ultimate authority? The people. It's us that's the ultimate authority. You ever think of that? We are the ultimate authority in America. So if our government is not doing good, whose responsibility is it to do something about that? It's ours. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? We're going to give account to God for that. But it's not just our responsibility to engage with government. It's our responsibility to do this third point we're going to talk about too, which is love one another. Because we can engage with the government all we want to, and we're not going to have this just society, this self-governing society, unless we love one another too. Because government is a very tangible, external thing. It's a lawmaking thing. Haven't we conclusively seen from Romans 1 through 11 that the law can't make people righteous? You know, we pass more laws every year than anybody could ever read in their lifetime in this country. Laws and regulations. Is it making society better? You you can argue that it's really not doing it. It might do more harm than good. Because it all starts from the human heart. Well, so we're many members of society. Righteousness looks like a body. We're many members of the body. We all have a gift to contribute. It's America. We all have a job to do. You know, a large percentage of Christians don't bother to vote. They're not doing their job. There are a lot of things you can do that are fairly small, not very time-consuming things that make a big impact. Most state legislatures, legislators, if they get ten calls on a subject, they freak out. Ten. You have ten friends? I won't ask for a show of hands just in case somebody's really lonely in there. Uh, you, you can move the ball in the state of Texas. 20, 20 million people, it only takes 10 to make a major impact. These guys get letters, they freak out. A handwritten letter, well, they, they, they're concerned. Because they know just a handful of people move opinion. And the voters are the ones that put them in office or not. Sadly, in our country, because average voters have withdrawn and been beaten off from being engaged, most of the time, elected officials care more about the money guys because the money's what gets them elected. Because it takes money to lie to people. And the culture we have in our society is you say one thing to the voters and then you go down to Austin or into D.C. or something and just do something completely different. And we have allowed that to be an accepted behavior. Is that good? God decides what's good, right? Is it good to lie openly and put up with it? Is that good? We should not be putting up with that. We should be saying, if you say one thing and do another, you're fired. you got to go. Why? Because authority is invested with we the people, and we only get to speak when elections come. The rest of the time, the elected representatives do the job. But when we speak, if we don't speak up, we're consenting to evil. It's a very, very important responsibility that we have. 
You know how many elected offices there are in the United States? Guess. How many elected offices? What? 20,000? That's a decent guess. 500,000 elected offices in the United States. 500,000. And that doesn't include appointed boards and traffic commissions and stuff like that. And you know what? One of the hard things they have is finding people to do those jobs. So who ends up doing it? Who goes on the traffic commission? The guys who are trying to make money off of routing the traffic and who own the land and stuff like that. We end up with a self-serving government because the people who would just do what's in the best interest of the neighbors are too busy watching reruns of Oprah. Not everybody's called to be full-time in this arena, obviously. But everybody can vote. Small donations make a big difference. There's tons of offices, and this authority, interestingly enough, has layers. Which authority do you want to, or is it important for you to submit to? Well, we all have multiple authorities, don't do we not? We all have the authority of our employer. Well, we have to be subject to an employer. Can the employer execute wrath on us? They can fire us, can't they? It's not the sword, so to speak. But if you try to keep going to the job after they fire you, uh, they can they can call the government and say, get this guy out of our building, right? So we have local, we have state, we have federal, we have our employers. There's a lot of authority that we have to uh, deal with. Now, Paul wrote this, and he's ultimately killed by the Roman authorities. He lost his life to the Roman authorities. Why did he lose his life to the Roman authorities? We don't know firsthand, but based on 2 Timothy, I think we can be fairly confident he lost his life because he would not obey the authority in recanting his faith. So there is this hierarchy. There are some things that we say, you know, God says, no, so I'm not going to pay attention to you, authority. And in Paul's own life, we see him exercise this and balance it out. The Jews wanted to execute Paul. Now, he was under their authority. So what did he do to get out from that? He appealed to Caesar. And the Roman authority said, You've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. You will stand before Augustus. You'll stand before Caesar. He did that so he wouldn't get killed by some Jewish authorities who were doing evil instead of good. They're doing evil instead of good. He appealed to a higher authority. You know, litigation is something that we should stay away from when it's me combating you. That's something that we should avoid when we can. But, you know, one of the things that we got to get over is being afraid of litigation. Litigation is what Paul did. He appealed. And when evil is happening, it's our job to attack it. And sometimes, use the courts to do that. When the government's breaking its own law, they need to be sued. And they need to be sued all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. And if the Supreme Court won't obey the law, then they need to be impeached. The Constitution gives us all these opportunities. And it's, it's our job to do so. 
Let's go back to 12, 19. Because this all flows right through this body and this just society. They're the same picture. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. We are not the governing authorities individually. None of us are ever. It's not ours to bear the sword personally in any circumstance. But when evil's happening, we have a governing structure and we have a role in that structure. And it's our job to go and attack evil when we have the opportunity to do so. As we are given opportunity. Our Constitution allows the states to call a convention to propose constitutional amendments apart from Congress. It's only been done a few times. And and in each case, when they got right on the brink of the convention happening, Congress capitulated and did what they wanted. But you can understand why. They don't want to lose they don't want to lose control of things. But we have we have workarounds for Washington D.C. There's no circumstance where there's not something we can do. Because we have rule of law. We have a self-governing society. When we see that one authority's not doing its job, we appeal to the higher authority. Paul ended up ministering to Caesar's household. In Philippians 4, he says, uh, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So he ended up spreading the gospel right there to Caesar. And he ended up losing his life from Caesar. Because there's some things we can't do, no matter who the government is. Because ultimately, we're going to answer to God for wrath and for conscience sake. So, be subject to authority, but authority has a responsibility. And in our case, the authority's us. And we need to take that responsibility very, very seriously. Because it's time to wake out of sleep. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day's at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the work of darkness and put on the armor of light. So the third thing, then, is that we have a self-governing society is the ultimate of what righteousness looks like in a just society. And that is when we're subject to one another. We place ourselves under the best interest of other people voluntarily. Just like we submit to the authority. We start this in verse 8. Owe no one anything. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves has fulfilled the law. For all these Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, bear fault witness, don't covet. All those things have to do with interpersonal relations one to another, right? They're all part of this one big category called love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is our heritage in America. The pillars of self-governance are three things. The rule of law, private property, and dispersed decision-making based on consent of the governed. And we, it, we saw that when we did the How to Be Rich series. I did a whole session on this called American Prosperity. 
We did. We went into it in some detail. And when God set up Israel, He set up that system. He gave them the law, Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai. Law has two parts. First part says, God gets to make the laws, not you. The second part says, here's the law I want you to do. Don't take others' property and don't hurt other people. Love one another. That's rule of law. And then he took them into the promised land, divvied up all the land, gave it to the families, private property. Thou shalt not steal. Doesn't make any sense if nobody owns anything, right? If we own everything in common, there is no thou shalt not steal. And then he said, appoint to yourself judges as you see fit. So you have judges to make judgment dispersed through the land based on the consent about who is qualified to do that judging. Consent of the governed. That's a self-governing society. And Israel rejected self-governing society. When they did, they said, we want to be a king for three reasons. First Samuel chapter 8. We want to not be a king. We want to have a king for three reasons. We want, uh, we want somebody to rule over us. We want someone to make our own judgments. This, this judging ourselves and being engaged citizens, and do, that's a lot of hard work. Just, just to have somebody do it for us. We want somebody to fight our own battles. You know, this volunteering to fight, this every time we have an invader, we all have to, That's hard work. Let somebody else do it for us. And we want to be like all the other nations. We don't want to be exceptional. We're, we want to be like everybody else. And God says, they have rejected me as king. When they reject, when they reject this self-governing structure, they've rejected me as king. You know what's going on in the United States today? We're making a choice right now. Whether we want to continue our exceptional self-governing approach or whether we want a king. Whether we want someone to take care of us, meet our needs, make our judgments for us, fight our battles, take care of us, ensure our retirement, ensure our health, and make sure everything's okay. Or whether we want to do the hard work of doing this for one another. It's not new in America that we have come to this choice. When we've had problems in the past in America, it's because we've gotten away from these things and we've gotten away from love your neighbor. And when we've not obeyed, when, well, rather when our laws have not reflected God's notion of what's good. For example, our founding documents say all men are created equal. And then we passed a law that said, if you have black skin, you're three-fifths of a person. We, obe- we disobeyed our own law. And as Abraham Lincoln observed in his second inaugural address, address, the wrath of God was poured out on us for that. North and south alike. They both shed blood over that point. Well, we're at another point. We're at another point. This is another decision point. And we're going to decide in our society... If we're going to continue to be exceptional, have God as king, because ultimately God gets to make these rules, right? When we're self-governing. Or whether we're going to have a political boss. Well, you say, I can get engaged and I can do my part. Maybe, maybe my calling is just to pray. That's a great call. If that, that's, not just a call that's not just a small thing. That's a huge thing. Everybody can do something. Maybe your calling is... Something that is maybe not elevated by man. Remember last week, colon's a big thing. 
colon doesn't get much respect until it's not functioning. But, you know, maybe you're saying to yourself, but what if we do everything we can and the government still goes bad? Well, it's not our job to determine outcomes. God's in charge of determining outcomes. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's our job to be faithful. And that's what we're going to have to give an account for. So we can't worry about what the results are going to be. What we do know, however, is that our calling is to be salt. And if you don't have salt on meat that you're keeping, it goes rotten. It goes putrid. It doesn't take a lot, but you've got to have it or it goes rotten. If we're not engaged in society, if we're not speaking out, if we're not doing our part, then our salt's not doing its job and society's going to rot. It's our fault. If we do our job and the society still rots, then God, that's God's responsibility, not ours. He's, he holds everything in His hand and He'll take care of it just fine. What He's asking us to do is to do our part. Now, it's just as important for us to love our neighbor as it is for us to be engaged in government. If we go and we get engaged in government and we join three things and we get involved and then we hate the people that we are opposing because they are evil, then what have we done? We've overthrown what he's asked us to do because he says, vengeance is mine if your enemy is hungry feeding. So that means no matter how bad someone is that we're opposing, we can't hate them. And if we have opportunity to do good to someone who is in fact evil, we should. Because this is not about us exacting our revenge on someone else. This is about us loving our neighbor and speaking the truth in love. Do not be overcome by evil. You know, if we hate, then we'll always become whatever it is we hate. Hate has no place here. This is overcoming evil with good. Not our evil's better than their evil. So when we love one another in the marketplace, wherever that marketplace is, at work, home, school, community, church, we're being subject to the governing authority of God. And we're preserving our culture of self-governance. And they're both equally important. If we get involved in government, throw away love your neighbor maybe worse than just loving our neighbor and not being involved in government. But we're not being asked to choose. We're being asked to do both. So, when we live from faith to faith, when we live righteousness by having the substitutionary life pour out of us, setting aside self, walking in the Spirit, fulfilling the law, loving other people, When we do that, we're putting God on the throne. You know, heaven's a place where God's will is done. We know that from the Lord's Prayer, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what heaven is. It's a place where God's will is done. When we do this, when we're subject to authority, when we are doing our job as an authority, when we're loving one another, we're putting God on the throne here in our sphere and God is our king so 
This is what righteousness looks like. The judgment day is approaching. Be under authority. Whatever, there's many authorities. Be aware of which authority you should be appealing to. Ultimately, we answer to God. The day's approaching. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Authority has a job to do, and it's to do good. If you're a supervisor in your work, you have an authority job to do. You're going to answer for whether you're doing good or evil. If you have a parent job, you have an authority job. You're an authority over your children for some period of time. You're going to give an account for how whether you advance good or evil. And all of us in America have a government authority job to do, and we're going to give an account for the, our gifts and whether we applied our gifts appropriately. And then thirdly, we'd be subject to one another. We're a self-governing society based on the notion that you do right by others. You know, let me just point something out to you. There are millions and millions of law in the federal registers. One guy estimated that the average American commits three felonies a day because there's so many laws, and most of them aren't even enforced. Most of them, the law enforcement guys don't even know they're there. But you know there's not a single law that says you have to stand in line to wait your turn at Walmart for the checkout. No law in the books. You can cut in line. You will not go to jail. But will you cut in line? No way. Why? Because everybody in that line will shame you back to the back, right? See, because our culture is you wait your turn. First come, first served. Now, there's no law in the books for that, but our culture says, hey, you do right by other people. You stop and lend a hand when it's necessary. You wait your turn. We, we were once in an airport in California and something broke down. And the line went all the way out into the parking garage to check in. And we waited for 45 minutes to check our bags and then went and got in another line the same length to go through security. And you know what? I was so proud to be an American. I didn't see one person cut in line, not one. <laughs> You travel around the country, you have a line with two people in it, and they'll be shoving to their way to the front. Because they don't have a self-governing society. I was talking to a guy from Africa one time, a cab driver. I usually talk to the cab drivers. And he said, you have no idea what you have here in America. People in uh, my country, they don't stop for a red light. They say, I'm wasting my time. Why should I stop at this red light? Of course, you know, everybody's all jammed up. He said, I was traveling back to my country one day and I was uh, really been a long day. This guy was huge. He's like six foot six. And he said, uh, some guy came up and just cut in line. I just had enough. And I just went up and said, you back to the back of the line. I'm, I'm sure that that guy said, okay. <laughs> because we have a self-governing society. We love our neighbors. There are forces trying to break that down. And we need to resist that on our daily basis as we interact with other people. Just as much as we need to do our job in the government. Because we have a self-governing society. So, from faith to faith, righteousness is a walk of faith. This substitutionary life pours itself out, and it looks like a lot of things. It looks like a body. 
It looks like a self-governing society where people are loving one another and the authority is doing good and people are subject to that authority. And as we go on, we'll see that it looks like other things as well, including receiving people with weak consciences, which we'll do next. Thank you, God, for your grace, for putting us in a self-governing country. Pray that we'll do our part to preserve it. I ask for your hand to be on our country and that you'll bring revival and another awakening, as you have many times in our history so far. Because, Lord, we're sold into sin and we have no ability to do what's good apart from your graceful hand. And I just ask that you'll cause your people who are called by your name to walk in the way you've called them to. And that we will do our part. In Christ's name, amen.